Hi, we're going to take another look at a book that I already covered before. This is Gary Zacharias. I'm doing this time Finding Truth by Nancy Piercy. This is the Apologist Bookshelf. I forgot to announce that. By the way, feel free to contact me, uh, gary.zacharias at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or concerns or uh, suggestions for this podcast. Okay, so Nancy Piercy's book is called Finding Truth, and it's a, a critique of secular culture, but it's also a guide for correcting it. So I'm going to cover one of her early chapters here. This is part two of the book, and um, it's called Twilight of the Gods. And w- what it is, it's going to cover, let me back up for just a couple of pages here. On page 42, she starts talking about several uh, strategic principles for figuring out worldviews and how to make choices and things like that. So principle number one is identify the idol. She says everybody who rejects God sets up an idol. So let's start there. What is it that has replaced God? So that's her first principle. Second one is identify the idol's reductionism. That means reducing something from a higher, more complex level to a simpler one, less complex, usually to debunk and to discredit it. Principle three, test the idol. Does it contradict what we know about the world? I think that's crucial. I want to do a podcast on that later. Does this idol, whatever it is, we'll talk about what they are in a few minutes, but does this contradict what we know about the world? Christianity is the best match for the way things really are, and other worldviews are not. So that's, that's just so important. I like the fact that she's covering that. And then principle number four, test the idol itself. Another way, does it contradict itself? Worldviews uh, that are not Christian often have uh, logical fallacies buried inside them. And then number five, replace that idol, make a case for Christianity. So let's just uh, walk our way through that. For this podcast, let's just take that first principle. Identify the idol. Okay, so... She talks about uh, in her church, she had a lot of questions when she was young, and they didn't get answered. She was really uh, disappointed. And she says she's not alone. Um, They asked kids in a sociological study, some teens, why did you fall away from the religion in which you were raised? About a third said they left the church, you ready, because of doubts and questions. And uh, says they just didn't get any responses. Too many questions that can't be answered. Well, I'll tell you what, I bet they didn't raise the question or somebody didn't handle it very well because questions can be answered with Christianity. So her point is that teens are having to navigate their way through just a really complicated uh, series of worldview claims. And she says uh, apologetics you know, are a way to deal with that. But she says, let's, let's start in. She said, where do we begin Well, she said, look at Romans 1. What does it say there? That people who reject the Creator are going to create an idol. They've got to have something. So she says, the first thing you want to do when you're looking at a worldview is to identify what's its idol. In other words, what did it set up as a God substitute? And she quotes from a critic, uh, Terry Eagleton. He lists several idols of the modern age. So here are some of the ones that have replaced God. Reason. The imagination nationalism, economics, because of Marxism. And uh, this Eagleton says, not believing in God is a far more arduous affair than it's generally imagined. And it's really hard. You, you take God out of the picture, you got to place something else there. 
And she says the history of philosophy is largely a history of setting up God's surrogates. So let's take a look. Um, I'm going to go pretty quickly over it. So an idol is just whatever, whatever that you have that engages you most deeply and drives your behavior. Everybody believes in something. And she says, you know, atheists always want to say, oh, it's not a belief. It's just a lack of a belief in God. But you got to start somewhere. If you toss God, something else is going to be the ultimate, eternal, uncreated reality that's the cause and the source of everything. So she says, you know, the question is not what's your starting point? Is it secular or is it religious? That doesn't matter. It's just what claims stand up the best to testing. And that's what I want to do in a, in a future podcast. Uh, she says, actually, everybody's got faith. We all believe there's something on which everything else depends. And so that's what we're going to look at. So she gets into religions, and she talks about things like pantheism and paganism and things like that that have all sorts of qualities that are different than we would think of as a religious feature. And she says, you know, the one thing that's shared by all religions is not whether they believe in God or not or how moral they are or not. She said they all acknowledge something is divine. So there's got to be some kind of eternal reality that's the origin of everything else. And she talks about paganism. And then she gets into philosophers. She said, if you identify the idol, that gets to the core of any religion and it gets to the heart of any philosophy. And so she talks about Plato and Aristotle. Okay, so we'll skip over that. She says there's the church of physics. In other words, you make an idol out of matter. Today we call it scientific materialism. That's the idea that physics will explain everything in chemistry. And chemistry explains biology. And biology explains the human mind. Nothing is left over. So physics is the ultimate explainer. And sometimes it's called physicalism. She said that's a divinity claim. She says without a doubt. In fact, she quotes from a materialist. John Searle says, There is a sense in which materialism is the religion of our time. You bet it is. Um, She says Dallas Willard has got this materialism creed captured nicely. Here's what he said. There is one reality, the natural world, and physics is its prophet. And she uh, mentions Carl Sagan talking about the cosmos is all there is or ever was or ever will be. That's materialism. And when you mess with it in the economic realm, you end up with something like Marxism. And she says another widely held idol today is empiricism, the idea that only things that are that are you could put in a test tube, right? Things you can see and feel and weigh and measure. That's reality. Well, we can. The only thing we can rely on are these empirical facts. And David Hume was a big uh, uh, idea behind this. Push this idea. It makes an idol out of the sensory realm. In other words, if you if you can't test it, put it in a test tube. It's not real. Or as scientism often says, if you can't put it in a test tube. It's not important. Science is the only thing that's important. Well, said, um, let's see, let me, let me skip over this. She says, empiricism says the only source of general uh, genuine knowledge is sense impressions, sights and sounds. Oh, but wait a minute. How do we know whether our sense impressions are true or accurate? How can I be sure that my senses are hel- uh, telling me the truth? And uh, the philosophers of empiricism kind of scratch their heads John Stuart Mill said, you know, we really don't know anything about the external world. Uh, 
Really? Yeah, we can't step outside of our minds to see what the world really is. So our mind is kind of in the way. So the only thing we can really tell about, according to these empiricists, is just a succession, a succession of sensations. It's just sensations. So that you can't build a bridge from your internal mental images to the external world. We're stuck. We're trapped in our minds. Well, that doesn't sound very helpful. Well, the rival of empiricism, she said, historically was rationalism. That claims the only thing you can know, right, the only standard of knowledge are ideas in your mind. But you can't step outside your reason to test whether that's accurate. So that's stuck as well. You can't bridge the gap from your head to the external world. And she says, then you end up with a kind of a skeptical crisis. And philosophers are looking for some other source of truth. Where are we going to get truth? Well, the founder of empiricism of Francis Bacon, and he said sense perceptions. Well, maybe. Then you had rationalism with René, René Descartes. He said the only thing that he knew that he couldn't doubt was his mental processes. There's some kind of self in there. So Bacon and Descartes have some kind of Christian conviction, but they didn't treat God as the final source of truth. They replaced God with what? The individual consciousness. Just your mind. It's your first person. That's the core of the modernist project. Right? Th we're, the one thing we can't be mistaken about is just our, our minds. She says these Enlightenment thinkers were seeking a God substitute. And now we got another authority. It's the authority of the senses. So we're kind of stuck. The search for godlike knowledge is restricted to just the self, the little universe of the self. So, so much for knowing all about how the universe works. She says, along comes Kant. So if empiricism and rationalism kind of leave us trapped inside the minds, maybe we should say there is no external world. It's just the mind that creates the world. And that's Immanuel Kant. So for him, reality is just a construct of the human mind. Wow. So the primary reality is not matter at all, but mind. And uh, the label for this view about the mind is called idealism. In other words, the ultimate reality is the realm of ideas. So kind of confusing, isn't it? If you say idealism, people think you're talking about having high ideals. No, it says the ultimate reality is ideas. It's the mental realm. So forget the, the external world. So it's not God that's playing the role of the divine for Kant and Descartes and Bacon. It's the human mind. Well, is that good? You're trapped, again, within the mind. So along come the Romantics. And here I am, I'm an English major, so I loved reading the Romantics, whether it was Coleridge or Wordsworth or Keats, people like that. For them, they, they thought about that. They said, you know, if the mind is the power that puts order into the world, it creates order from chaos, then what does that make the artist or the poet? He's not just a scribbler or a writer. He's a creator. So the ultimate foundation for truth is not really the senses or reason. It's the creative imagination. So that generates the ultimate truth. So then the artist becomes known as the prophet or the visionary. Wordsworth said his spirit had been clothed in priestly robe. And he said it was singled out for holy services. So here goes the Romantics. Well, he says, uh, uh, go back to Piercy here. She says, so principle one about identifying um, the idol is to find out what is it that's the alternative to Christianity. 
And she says, you know, Christianity doesn't start with anything in this world. It starts with the creator. So it's not limited like these other uh, philosophies are. They keep getting stuck with just the mind. Uh, it says you don't have to reduce all of reality like you do with these other things. She says, you and I are limited in our own individual perspectives, but we have access to the perspective of eternity, thanks to God. And then toward the end of the chapter, I like what she says here. She said, these, um, these counterfeit gods, they are within creation, aren't they? The people are looking to this world or their minds as the ultimate idol. But because it's in this world, that's what God created. So some of these idols are actually going to have some truths within, within them. So I'm glad she pointed that out. So it's not like we're right and materialism is totally wrong or Christianity is right, rationalism is wrong. She said, no, materialism is partly right because God did create a material universe and pronounced it was good. So we shouldn't be surprised that scientists who embrace materialism can tell us quite a bit about the physical universe. What about rationalism? Well, God did create the world. It has a rationally knowable structure, and the human mind can look at that. We're created in such a way that we can untangle this and begin to know a little bit about how the universe works. Empiricism gets right some things. God did create a world that has a sensory dimension to it. What about romanticism? Well, she said that was good. It opposed worldviews that just reduced humans to complex mechanisms. It focused on human creativity and human freedom. Well, that's because we're made in the image of God. So I like this. She says a biblical worldview helps Christians to approach every viewpoint with a free and respectful attitude. There are some truths there, knowing that almost every perspective has something of value. But we can also make the case that whatever is genuinely good and true has its true home within Christianity. That's powerful, isn't it? So this is just giving you kind of a, there was a quick run through, obviously, but it just gives you a feel for what she's doing. She's showing that there are alternate idols out there, but they, they fall so far short of Christianity, they limit us. We get limited in our minds. Christianity opens us up to the entire world and the world beyond as well. Okay, so that's Nancy Pierce's book, Finding Truth. It's a deep read. It's not a, a quick, easy read, but it's good. It's got so much there. It's a rich read. All right, well, thanks, and uh, we'll do another podcast soon. Hope you're having a good day.